0: Chapters twenty-eight to thirty of *On the Eve* by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Garnett. This recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty-eight. Insarov read Elena's note and at once began to set his room to rights. He asked his landlady to take away the medicine glasses, took off his dressing gown and put on his coat. His head was swimming and his heart throbbing from weakness and delight his knees were shaking he dropped onto the sofa and began to look at his watch it's now a quarter to twelve he said to himself she can never come before twelve i will think of something else for a quarter of an hour or i shall break down altogether before twelve she cannot possibly come the door was opened and in a light silk gown all pale all fresh young and joyful elena came in and with a faint cry of delight she fell on his breast. "'You are alive, you are mine!' she repeated, embracing and stroking his head. He was almost swooning, breathless at such closeness, such caresses, such bliss. She sat down near him, holding him fast, and began to gaze at him with that smiling and caressing and tender look, only to be seen shining in the eyes of a loving woman. Her face suddenly clouded over how thin you have grown my poor Dmitri," she said passing her hand over his neck what a beard you have and you have grown thin my poor elena he answered catching her fingers with his lips she shook her curls gaily that's nothing you shall see how soon we'll be strong again the storm has blown over just as it blew over and passed away that day when we met in the chapel now we are going to live he answered her with a smile only ah what a time we have had dmitri what a cruel time how can people outlive those they love i knew beforehand what andrei petrovitch would say to me every day i did really my life seemed to ebb and flow with yours welcome back my dmitri he did not know what to say to her he was longing to throw himself at her feet another thing i observed she went on pushing back his hair I made so many observations all this time in my leisure, when any one is very, very miserable, with what stupid attention he follows everything that's going on about him. I really sometimes lost myself in gazing at a fly, and all the while such chill and terror in my heart. But that's all past, all past, isn't it? Everything's bright in the future, isn't it?" "'You are for me in the future,' answered Insarov. "'So it is bright for me.' "'And for me, too. But do you remember when I was here? Not the last time. No, not the last time,' she repeated, with an involuntary shudder. "'When we were talking, I spoke of death. I don't know why. I never suspected then that it was keeping watch on us. But you are well now, aren't you?' "'I'm much better. I'm nearly well.' "'You are well. You are not dead. Oh, how happy I am!' A short silence followed elena said insarov well my dearest tell me did it never occur to you that this illness was sent us as a punishment elena looked seriously at him that idea did come into my head dmitri but i thought what am i to be punished for what duty have i transgressed against whom have i sinned perhaps my conscience is not like other people's but it was silent or perhaps I am guilty towards you. I hinder you. I stop you. You don't stop me, Elena. We will go together. Yes, Dmitri, let us go together. I will follow you. That is my duty. I love you. I know no other duty. Oh, Elena said Insarov, what chains every word of yours fastens on me. Why talk of chains? she interposed. We are free people, you and I yes she went on looking musingly on the floor while with one hand she still stroked his hair i experienced much lately of which i had never had any idea if anyone had told me beforehand that i a young lady well brought up should go out from home alone on all sorts of made-up excuses and to go where to a young man's lodgings how indignant i should have been and that has all come about and i feel no indignation whatever really she added and turned to insarov he looked at her with such an expression of adoration that she softly dropped her hand from his hair over his eyes dmitri she began again you don't know of course i saw you there in that dreadful bed i saw you in the clutches of death unconscious you saw me yes he was silent for a little and bersenyev was here she nodded Insarov bowed down before her. Oh, Elena, he whispered, I don't dare to look at you. Why? Andrei Petrovitch is so good. I was not ashamed before him. And what have I to be ashamed of? I am ready to tell all the world that I am yours. And Andrei Petrovitch, I trust like a brother. He saved me, cried Insarov. He is the noblest, kindest of men. Yes and do you know i owe everything to him do you know that it was he who first told me that you loved me and if i could tell you everything yes he is a noble man insarov looked steadily at elena he is in love with you isn't he elena dropped her eyes he did love me she said in an undertone insarov pressed her hand warmly Oh, you Russians, he said, you have hearts of pure gold. And he, he has been waiting on me, he has not slept at night, and you, you, my angel! No reproaches, no hesitations, and all this for me, for me! Yes, yes, all for you, because they love you. Ah, Dmitri, how strange it is! I think I have talked to you of it before, but it doesn't matter. I like to repeat it, and you will like to hear it. When I saw you the first time—' "'Why are there tears in your eyes?' Insarov interrupted her. "'Tears? Are there?' She wiped her eyes with her handkerchief. "'Oh, what a silly boy! He doesn't know yet that people weep from happiness. I wanted to tell you—when I saw you the first time, I saw nothing special in you, really.' "'I remember. Shubin struck me much more at first, though I never loved him, and as for Andrei Petrovitch—' oh there was a moment when i thought isn't this he and with you there was nothing of that sort but afterwards afterwards you took my heart by storm have pity on me began insharov he tried to get up but dropped down on to the sofa again at once what's the matter with you inquired elena anxiously nothing i am still rather weak i am not strong enough yet for such happiness "'Then sit quietly. Don't dare to move. Don't get excited,' she added, threatening him with her finger. "'And why have you left off your dressing-gown? It's too soon to begin to be a dandy. Sit down, and I will tell you stories. Listen and be quiet. To talk much is bad for you after your illness.' She began to talk to him about Shubin, about Kornatovsky, and what she had been doing for the last fortnight of how war seemed, judging from the newspapers, inevitable. And so directly he was perfectly well again. He must, without losing a minute, make arrangements for them to start. All this she told him, sitting beside him, leaning on his shoulder. He listened to her, listened, turning pale and red. Sometimes he tried to stop her. Suddenly he drew himself up. "'Elena,' he said to her, in a strange, hard voice, Leave me go away. What? she replied in bewilderment. You feel ill? she added quickly. No, I'm all right. But please leave me now. I don't understand you. You drive me away. What are you doing? she said suddenly. He had bent over from the sofa almost to the ground and was pressing her feet to his lips. Don't do that. Dmitri, Dmitri. He got up then leave me you see elena when i was taken ill i did not lose consciousness at first i knew i was on the edge of the abyss even in the fever in delirium i knew i felt vaguely that it was death coming to me i took leave of life of you of everything i gave up hope and this return to life so suddenly this light after the darkness you you near me with me your voice your breath It's more than I can stand. I feel I love you passionately. I hear you call yourself mine. I cannot answer for myself. You must go. Dmitri whispered Elena, and she nestled her head on his shoulder. Only now she understood him. Elena, he went on, I love you, you know that. I am ready to give my life for you. Why have you come to me now when I am weak, when I can't control myself, when all my blood's on fire you are mine you say you love me dmitri she repeated she flushed all over and pressed still closer to him elena have pity on me go away i feel as if i should die i can't stand these violent emotions my whole soul yearns for you think death was almost parting us and now you are here you are in my arms elena she was trembling all over. "'Take me, then,' she whispered, scarcely above her breath. End of chapter 28 CHAPTER Twenty Nine. Nikolai Artemyevich was walking up and down in his study with a scowl on his face. Shubin was sitting at the window with his legs crossed, tranquilly smoking a cigar. "'Leave off tramping from corner to corner, please,' he observed, knocking the ash off his cigar. I keep expecting you to speak. There's a rick in my neck from watching you. Besides, there's something artificial, melodramatic, in your striding. You can never do anything but joke, responded Nikolai Artemyevitch. You won't enter into my position. You refuse to realize that I am used to that woman, that I am attached to her in fact, that her absence is bound to distress me. Here it's October. Winter is upon us. What can she be doing? Ravel? She must be knitting stockings—for herself, for herself, not for you. "'You may laugh, you may laugh, but I tell you I know no woman like her—such honesty, such disinterestedness.' "'Has she cashed that bill yet?' inquired Shubin. "'Such disinterestedness,' replied Nikolai Artemyevich. "'It's astonishing. They tell me there are a million other women in the world. But I say—show me the million, show me the million, I say. Ces femmes comme les montres. And she doesn't write. That's what's killing me. You're eloquent as Pythagoras, remarked Shubin. But do you know what I would advise you? What? When Augustina Christianovna comes back. You take my meaning? Yes, yes. Well, what? When you see her again, you follow the line of my thought? Yes, yes, to be sure. Try beating her. See what that would do. Nikolai Artemyevich turned away, exasperated. "'I thought he was really going to give me some practical advice. But what can one expect from him—an artist, a man of no principles?' "'No principles? By the way, I'm told your favourite, Mr. Kurnatovsky, the man of principle, cleaned you out of a hundred roubles last night. That was hardly delicate. You must own now.' "'What of it? We were playing high.' Of course, I might expect—but they understand so little—how to appreciate him in this house. That he thought, get what I can, put in Shubin, whether he's to be my father-in-law or not, is still on the knees of the gods, but a hundred roubles is worth something to a man who doesn't take bribes. Father-in-law? How the devil am I his father-in-law? Vous revez, mon cher. Of course, any other girl would be delighted with such a suitor only consider a man of spirit and intellect who has gained a position in the world served in two provinces very likely to be sure that's how it should be practical a business man and a capital hand at cards shubin remarked again to be sure and a capital hand at cards but elena nikolaevna is there any understanding her i should be glad to know if there is any one who would undertake to make out what it is she wants one day she's cheerful another she's dull all of a sudden she's so thin there's no looking at her and then suddenly she's well again and all without any apparent reason a disagreeable-looking manservant came in with a cup of coffee cream and sugar on a tray the father is pleased with a suitor pursued Nikolai. artemyevitch breaking off a lump of sugar but what is that to the daughter that was all very well in the old patriarchal days but now we have changed all that nous avons changé tout ça nowadays a young girl talks to anyone she thinks fit reads what she thinks fit she goes about moscow alone without a groom or a maid just as in paris and all that is permitted the other day i asked where is elena nikolaevna I'm told she has gone out. Where? No one knows. Is that the proper thing? Take your coffee and let the man go, said Shubin. You say yourself that one ought not devant les domestiques, he added in an undertone. The servant gave Shubin a dubious look, while Nikolai Artemyevitch took the cup of coffee, added some cream, and seized some ten lumps of sugar i was just going to say when the servant came in he began that i count for nothing in this house that's the long and short of the matter for nowadays every one judges from appearances one man's an empty-headed fool but gives himself airs of importance and he's respected while another very likely has talents which might which might gain him great distinction but through modesty aren't you a born statesman asked shubin in a jeering voice give over playing the fool nikolai artemyevitch cried with heat you forget yourself here you have another proof that i count for nothing in this house nothing anna Vassilyevna ill uses you poor fellow said shubin stretching ah nikolai artemyevitch we're a pair of sinners you had much better be getting a little present ready for anna vassilyevna it's her birthday in a day or two and you know how she appreciates the least attention on your part yes yes answered nikolai artemyevitch hastily i'm much obliged to you for reminding me of course of course to be sure i have a little thing a dressing-case i bought it the other day at rosenstrauk's "'But I don't know really if it will do.' "'I suppose you bought it for her, the lady at "'Why, certainly. I had some idea.' "'Well, in that case it will be sure to do.' Shubin got up from his seat. "'Are we going out this evening, Pavel Yakovlitch, eh?' Nikolai Artemievich asked with an amicable leer. "'Why, yes, you are going to your club.' "'After the club, after the club.' Shubin stretched himself again. No, Nikolai Artemyevitch, I want to work to-morrow, another time, and he walked off. Nikolai Artemyevich scowled, walked twice up and down the room, took a velvet box with the dressing-case out of the bureau, and looked at it a long while, rubbing it with a silk handkerchief. Then he sat down before a looking-glass, and began carefully arranging his thick black hair, turning his head to right and to left with a dignified countenance, his tongue pressed into his cheek, never taking his eyes off his parting. Someone coughed behind his back. He looked round and saw the manservant who had brought him in his coffee. "'What do you want?' he asked him. "'Nikolai Artemyevitch said the man, with a certain solemnity, "'you are our master?' "'I know that. What next?' Nikolai Artemievich, graciously, do not be angry with me. But I, having been in your honour's service from a boy, am bound in dutiful devotion to bring you Well, what is it? The man shifted uneasily as he stood. You condescended to say, Your honour, he began, that your honour did not know where Elena Nikolaevna was pleased to go. I have information about that. What lies are you telling, idiot? That's as your honour likes, but I saw our young lady three days ago, as she was pleased to go into a house. Where, what, what house? In a house near Povarsky. Not far from here. I even asked the doorkeeper who were the people living there. Nikolai Artemyevich stamped his feet. Silent scoundrel! How dare you! Elena Nikolaevna, in the goodness of her heart, goes to visit the poor, and you—be off, fool! The terrified servant was rushing to the door. "'Stop!' cried Nikolai Artemyevich. "'What did the doorkeeper say to you?' "'Oh, no, nothing,' he said, nothing. "'He told me a stu-student—' "'Silence, scoundrel! Listen, you dirty beast! If you ever breathe a word in your dreams even—' "'Mercy on us! Silence! If you blab, if any one, if I find out, you shall find no hiding-place even underground. Do you hear?' you can go." The man vanished. Good heavens, merciful powers! What does it mean? thought Nikolai Artemyevitch when he was left alone. What did that idiot tell me? Eh! I shall have to find out, though, what house it is, and who lives there. I must go myself. Has it come to this—un lackey, quelle humiliation! And repeating aloud, un Nikolai artemyevitch shut the dressing-case up in the bureau and went up to anna vassilyevna he found her in bed with her face tied up but the sight of her sufferings only irritated him and he very soon reduced her to tears End of chapter twenty nine chapter thirty meanwhile the storm gathering in the east was breaking turkey had declared war on russia the time fixed for the evacuation of the principalities had already expired the day of the disaster of sinope was not far off the last letters received by insarov summoned him urgently to his country his health was not yet restored he coughed suffered from weakness and slight attacks of fever but he was scarcely ever at home his heart was fired he no longer thought of his illness he was for ever rushing about moscow having secret interviews with various persons, writing for whole nights, disappearing for whole days. He had informed his landlord that he was going away shortly, and had presented him already with his scanty furniture. Elena too, on her side, was getting ready for departure. One wet evening she was sitting in her room, and listening with involuntary depression to the sighing of the wind, while she hemmed handkerchiefs her maid came in and told her that her father was in her mother's room and sent for her there your mamma is crying she whispered after the retreating elena and your papa is angry elena gave a slight shrug and went into anna vassilyevna's room Nikolai artemyevitch's kind-hearted spouse was half lying on a reclining chair sniffing a handkerchief steeped in eau de cologne He himself was standing at the hearth, every button buttoned up, in a high, hard cravat, with a stiffly starched collar. His deportment had a vague suggestion of some parliamentary orator. With an orator's wave of the arm he motioned his daughter to a chair, and when she, not understanding his gesture, looked inquiringly at him, he brought out with dignity, without turning his head, "'I beg you to be seated.' Nikolai Artemyevich always used the formal plural in addressing his wife, but only on extraordinary occasions in addressing his daughter. Elena sat down. Anna Vasilievna blew her nose tearfully. Nikolai Artemyevich thrust his fingers between his coat-buttons. "'I sent for you, Elena Nikolaevna,' he began, after a protracted silence, "'in order to have an explanation with you.' or rather in order to ask you for an explanation. I am displeased with you, or, no, that is too little to say. Your behaviour is a pain and an outrage to me, to me and to your mother, your mother whom you see here." Nikolai Artemyevich was giving vent only to the few bass notes in his voice. Elena gazed in silence at him, then at Anna Vasilievna, and turned pale. There was a time, Nikolai Artemyevitch resumed, when daughters did not allow themselves to look down on their parents, when the parental authority forced the disobedient to tremble. That time has passed unhappily, so at least many persons imagine, but let me tell you, there are still laws which do not permit, do not permit, in fact there are still laws. I beg you to mark that, there are still laws." but papa elena was beginning i beg you not to interrupt me let us turn in thought to the past i and anna Vassilyevna have performed our duty i and anna Vassilyevna have spared nothing in your education neither care nor expense what you have gained from our care is a different question but i had the right to expect i and anna vassilyevna had the right to expect that you would at least hold sacred the principles of morality which we have que nous avons which we have instilled into you our only daughter we had the right to expect that no new ideas could touch that so to speak holy shrine and what do we find i am not now speaking of frivolities characteristic of your sex and age "'But who could have anticipated that you could so far forget yourself?' "'Papa,' said Elena. "'I know what you are going to say.' "'No, you don't know what I am going to say,' cried Nikolai Artemyevitch in a falsetto shriek, suddenly losing the majesty of his oratorical pose, the smooth dignity of his speech, and his bass notes. "'You don't know, vile hussy!' "'For mercy's sake, Nicholas,' murmured Anna Vassilyevna, "'Vous me faites mourir.' "'Don't tell me que je vous fais mourir, Anna Vassilievna. "'You can't conceive what you will hear directly. "'Prepare yourself for the worst, I warn you.' Anna Vassilievna seemed stupefied. "'No,' resumed Nikolai Artemyevich, turning to Elena. "'You don't know what I am going to say.' "'I am to blame towards you,' she began. "'Ah, at last!' I am to blame towards you," pursued Elena, for not having long ago confessed. "'But do you know,' Nikolai Artemievich interrupted, "'that I can crush you with one word?' Elena raised her eyes to look at him. "'Yes, madam, with one word. It's useless to look at me.' He crossed his arms on his breast. "'Allow me to ask you, do you know a certain house near Povarsky? Have you visited that house?' He stamped. "'Answer me, worthless girl, and don't try to hide the truth. People, people, servants, madame, de Laquet have seen you, as you went in there, to your—' Elena was crimson, her eyes were blazing. "'I have no need to hide anything,' she declared. "'Yes, I have visited that house.' "'Exactly. Do you hear, do you hear, Anna Vassilyevna? And you know, I presume, who lives there?' "'Yes, I know. My husband.' Nikolai Artemyevich's eyes were starting out of his head. Your— My husband, repeated Elena. I am married to Dmitri Nikanorovitch Insarov. You, married, was all Anna Vasilievna could articulate. Yes, Mama, forgive me. A fortnight ago we were secretly married. Anna Vasilievna fell back in her chair. Nikolai Artemyevich stepped two paces back married, to that vagrant, that Montenegrin, the daughter of Nikolai Stachov, of the higher nobility, married to a vagrant, a nobody without her parents' sanction. And you imagine I shall let the matter rest, that I shall not make a complaint, that I will allow you, that that, you—that—to the nunnery with you, and he shall go to prison to hard labour. Anna Vassilyevna, inform her at once that you will cut off her inheritance.' Nikolai Artemyevich, for God's sake!" moaned Anna Vasilievna. "'And when and how was this done? Who married you? Where? How? Good God! What will all our friends think? What will the world say? And you, shameless hypocrite, could go on living under your parents' roof after such an act? Had you no fear of—the wrath of heaven?' "'Papa,' said Elena. She was trembling from head to foot, but her voice was steady you are at liberty to do with me as you please but you need not accuse me of shamelessness and hypocrisy i did not want to give you pain before but i should have had to tell you all myself in a few days because we are going away my husband and i from here next week going away where to to his own country to bulgaria to the turks cried anna vassilyevna and fell into a swoon. Elena ran to her mother. "'Away!' clamoured Nikolai Artemyevich, seizing his daughter by the arm. "'Away, unworthy girl!' But at that instant the door of the room opened, and a pale face with glittering eyes appeared. It was the face of Shubin. "'Nikolai Artemyevich,' he shouted at the top of his voice, "'Augustina Kristianovna is here and is asking for you.' artemyevitch turned round infuriated threatening shubin with his fist he stood still a minute and rapidly went out of the room elena fell at her mother's feet and embraced her knees uva ivanovitch was lying on his bed a shirt without a collar fastened with a heavy stud enfolded his thick neck and fell in full-flowing folds over the almost feminine contours of his chest leaving visible a large cypress-wood cross and an amulet. His ample limbs were covered with the lightest bedclothes, on the little table by the bedside a candle was burning dimly beside a jug of kvas, and on the bed at Uvar Ivanovitch's feet was sitting Shubin in a dejected pose. Yes, he was saying meditatively, she is married and getting ready to go away your nephew was bawling and shouting for the benefit of the whole house he had shut himself up for greater privacy in his wife's bedroom but not merely the maids and the footmen the coachman even could hear it now he's just tearing and raving round he all but gave me a thrashing he's bringing a father's curse on the scene now as cross as a bear with a sore head but that's of no importance anna vassilyevna's crushed but she's much more broken-hearted at her daughter leaving her than at her marriage." Uvar Ivanovitch flourished his fingers. A mother, he commented, to be sure. "'Your nephew,' resumed Shubin, "'threatens to lodge a complaint with the Metropolitan and the General Governor and the Minister, but it will end by her going. A happy thought to ruin his own daughter. He'll crow a little and then lower his colors they do no right," observed Uvar Ivanovitch, and he drank out of the jug. To be sure, but what a storm of criticism, gossip and comments will be raised in Moscow! She's not afraid of them. Besides, she's above them. She's going away, and it's awful to think where she's going. To such a distance, such a wilderness! What future awaits her there? I seem to see her setting off from a posting station in a snowstorm with thirty degrees of frost. She's leaving her country and her people, but I understand her doing it. Whom is she leaving here behind her? What people has she seen? Kurnatovsky and Bersenyev and our humble selves, and these are the best she's seen. What is there to regret about it? One thing's bad. I'm told her husband. "'The devil! How that word sticks in my throat! Insarov, I'm told, is spitting blood. That's a bad lookout. I saw him the other day. His face—you could model Brutus from it straight off. Do you know who Brutus was, Uva Ivanovitch?' "'What is there to know? A man, to be sure?' "'Precisely so. He was a man. Yes, he's a wonderful face, but unhealthy, very unhealthy.' for fighting it makes no difference observed uvar ivanovitch for fighting it makes no difference certainly you are pleased to express yourself with great justice today. but for living it makes all the difference and you see she wants to live with him a little while a youthful affair responded uvar ivanovitch yes a youthful glorious bold affair death life conflict defeat triumph love freedom country good god grant as much to all of us that's a very different thing from sitting up to one's neck in a bog and pretending it's all the same to you when in fact it really is all the same while there the strings attuned to the highest pitch to play to all the world or to break shubin's head sank on his breast "'Yes,' he resumed, after a prolonged silence, "'Insarov deserves her. What nonsense, though! No one deserves her. Insarov! Insarov! What's the use of pretended modesty?' "'We'll own. He's a fine fellow. He stands on his own feet, though up to the present he has done no more than we poor sinners. And are we such absolutely worthless dirt? Am I such dirt, Uvar Ivanovitch?' has god been hard on me in every way has he given me no talents no abilities who knows perhaps the name of pavel shubin will in time be a great name you see that bronze farthing there lying on the table who knows some day perhaps in a century that bronze will go to a statue of pavel shubin raised in his honour by a grateful posterity uvar ivanovitch leaned on his elbow and stared at the enthusiastic artist. "'That's a long way off,' he said at last, with his usual gesture. "'We're speaking of other people. Why bring in yourself?' "'Oh, great philosopher of the Russian world!' cried Shubin. "'Every word of yours is worth its weight in gold, and it's not to me but to you a statue ought to be raised, and I would undertake it.' there as you are lying now in that pose one doesn't know which is uppermost in it sloth or strength that's how i would cast you in bronze you aimed a just reproach at my egoism and vanity yes yes it's useless talking of oneself it's useless bragging we have no one yet no men look where you will everywhere either small fry nibblers hamlets on a small scale self-absorbed or darkness and subterranean chaos or idle babblers and wooden sticks or else they are like this they study themselves to the most shameful detail and are for ever feeling the pulse of every sensation and reporting to themselves that's what i feel that's what i think a useful rational occupation no if we only had some sensible men among us that girl that delicate soul would not have run away from us would not have slipped off like a fish to the water what's the meaning of it uvar ivanovitch when will our time come when will men be born among us give us time answered uvar ivanovitch they will be they will be soil of our country force of the black earth thou hast said they will be look i will write down your words but why are you putting out the candle? I'm going to sleep. Good-bye. End of chapter 30